Hello and welcome to the Yoga Syndicate. This episode is called Asceticism and the relationship between the spiritual pursuit versus the householder life. Ellen, what is this combination and difference between the devotee and the sit down and watch TV? <laughs> well said, Alice, the difference between the devotee and the sit down watch TV. This is actually a, a long discussion within the Indian society. What is the right way to, to live your life? Uh, should you live your life as a householder and partake in society and uphold your duties towards family and your caste and your class and so on? Or is it a, a valid pursuit to, to take off and abandon all these values, abandon material possessions, uh, abandon the comfort of, uh, uh, or the, and also the difficulties of family life and sort of go on a, on a spiritual pursuit? So this has been a, a continuous uh, tension throughout times and, and, and we see also that it results sometimes in an integration where you, for instance, can spend part of your life as an, uh, as an uh, ascetic or as a, as a, uh, as a person who, who uh, pursues the, the spiritual life and, and abandons the family, leaves behind the, the family um, uh, life. Uh, but there's also a tradition where, where people go all the way, where they deliberately take up a life of, uh, of poverty, of the simplicity, in order to, to fully pursue the, the spiritual path. So they become kind of the, um, the experts, we can say, the uh, extremes, extremists. Um, uh, whereas the rest of society go on with, uh, with their daily tasks. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is one way to look at it, but of course we can look at it in a more like a, a common way also, because we have also ascetics in, in other traditions, of course. It's always been a part of a religious uh, life, or one part of religious life. We have it in Christianity also, monks who are living very, very simple um, lives. Um, um, and uh, we can certainly ask ourselves this uh, today, you know, how much is our uh, attachment to, to pleasure and comfort and uh, the kind of lives we are living, how much is this in, in conflict with the spiritual pursuit? Is it or is it not? Yeah, I think, um, I think nowadays I, I just, I get the, the feeling that people are, have lost their... Uh, they don't know which flag to put up on their flagpole anymore in terms of what they believe in and they want others to see that they believe in um, because I, I find everything to be sort of a, a mix, uh, a modern-day mix um, of this is what I think today, but I can just forget what I thought today, tomorrow. Um, so, of course, when I think of uh, asceticism, I, I'm thinking very sort of back in the day and I realize, you, you know, you still have people practicing in all different faiths, um, a certain level of, uh, of, of of finding their spiritual goals and you know uh, practicing abstinence and and uh, mm. and that sort of thing. And you, you you have it in you know you have it in Buddhism, Jainism, and Hinduism, Islam, Christianity. I get it, but I I find it difficult um, 
to believe that nowadays that people, um, of course, you are a victim or you're a product of your surroundings. And I guess if you're living in modern-day Norway uh, or, you know, in the middle of, you know, Manhattan, it's you might see some some kooky individuals walking by, but you really don't pick up on what they're actually um, giving up when behind them you have a, 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 the Apple Store logo uh, in a window. So I'm... I'm just like, you know, you've been in Kathmandu. Would you would you find that there is still an absolute ascetic uh, approach to human life um, in the East? Well, I will say that it still exists among uh, some people. You know, you still have the, the certainly the wandering ascetics who don't own anything, who live in very simple places. And you still have people who practice uh, uh, asceticism in, in periods who will go and do long retreats in the very simple conditions or, or even live in a cave and have very little food and, and very few uh, necessities. And it's hard to understand somehow uh, how you can survive with, uh, with so little and under such hard, harsh climate uh, conditions i mean it will be cold it will rain on you and you have very little uh, you have very little things to protect yourself and keep you warm and, and comfortable so it's hard to understand sometimes that uh, how the this kind of spiritual drive can be so strong that people can endure such uh, conditions uh, but I will certainly say that it still um, it still exists. Yeah, definitely. But you know, enduring uh, certain conditions. Um, do you think that a, a true uh, uh, a true devotee is seeking out conditions that are um, not really satisfactory? Uh, when we come back to the the concept concept of uh, dukkha and suffering, that they are it's almost very very in for the. Uh, uh, ascetic to be out, uh, and therefore they'll they'll say, "Wait, no, that rock is hard, but it's not hard enough. I'm going to go sleep on the gravel." Um, do, do 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 these ascetics are they looking for more pain uh, in order to 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 display both inwardly and outwardly their their what they're giving up? Well, it's not really. Uh, it's Certainly, within the Buddhist tradition, is not uh, uh, we don't pursue uh, this kind of deliberate uh, punishment or uh, austerities. I think it's more a matter of just stripping away everything else. So all you, uh, all the only option you have is to do your practice. There's nothing else that can really distract you. Yeah, I'm just. Uh, I'm... Uh, but it's hard to say. I mean. It, it is hard to say because, you know, <clears throat> my, my, my silly, and we, we just have to bring the word back as we always do, in my Western mind, I, I definitely think that this in this pursuit of redemption and salvation and spirituality, I'm thinking <clears throat> that most people are like a Diet Coke or they're like, a, they're like an ascetic zero. They, you know, they're not like the real deal, but they're... It's um at least it's kind of you know and with all due respect I have been in India and in Nepal with you and in certain places in Thailand and especially in India you know you see the Saudis holding their arms up and never bringing them down I mean I don't think people are doing this uh, just for show um, and I I realize there's even a more 
you know, uh, organized structure in being ascetic, like you say, the monks. It's you know, it's it, it's like a, it's like an institution of of, of letting go uh, mm-hmm. and and you know, in abstinence of all things temp- tempting. Um, but you know, what, what what is the help help out the audience and myself here out, Ellen? What what is the payoff uh, with with letting go uh is it is it an act of purification um somehow what is the payoff i think it's an act of simplification i think it's an act of simplification it's an act of uh, bringing yourself to focus on what is really important uh, as opposed to getting distracted all the time Mm. So I think we also, we do it uh, maybe in periods that we do, uh, I mean, you see quite often that people go through some kind of phase where they do fasting or they they make some kind of regime for themselves that they follow for a certain amount of time. And I think more often than not, we find that this kind of uh, limited, within this kind of limited periods, we have a lot of, we have a greater clarity life becomes simpler and we maybe find out we don't actually miss all these extra things all that much no it's easy to be uh to indulge in all the the sense pleasures and and all the distractions that we have available and at all times and it can easily be too much no i would i mean it was tradition in norway for a long for a long time you know we had a good tradition here in in norway that people would always go to hitta yeah, hitta wouldn't be what the hitta is now, which means the cabin. Now the cabins are not cabins anymore. They are like villas up in the, up in the forest. But uh, Norwegians used to go to like really small cabins where there was no electricity, no water, and they would enjoy living a really simple life in uh, in nature for a few days and come back to their normal life very refreshed. And sadly, this is uh, this is changing now. So we're bringing the same kind of level of comfort um, to our uh, uh, hitta as well. So, um, so, so what what uh, what would <clears throat> never do that? No, and I get it. That was actually a great example of um, how one could look at it, at least uh, either here in Norway or in other terms that you'd you'd go to the cabin and you wouldn't even have. A proper toilet you'd have to go out into you know a makeshift uh, 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 room outside and do your thing or in the nature um, but nowadays I mean it's you know you wouldn't know the difference between a, a, a normal home and going to the cabin uh, as all the amenities the, the the heated floors and everything is uh, uh, right on the mark I was I was just thinking you know because you're bringing up a lot of thoughts in terms of modern day amenities and the way evolution along with this digital era has taken place um you know how many ones and zeros in the digital age can an ascetic give up before they i mean is this a great opportunity for the ascetic because then they have a hell of a lot more to give up um versus what they gave up before in other words like you know um don't try to contact me because it's uh i i gave away my 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 telephone or i've never owned one i'm i'm just thinking you know i'm i'm i am going to approach you know india and we're going to get into it a little bit more traditionally but for for now i just want to bring the reader slowly i mean the listener slowly into um why the heck um people would 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 you know give way to their indulgent nature in terms of wanting 
yeah, sensual and sexual pleasures, not just material ones. Why would we want to do such a thing? And you say it's to, to find an inner peace. Um, if you say that to you or to me, perhaps nowadays, that would be the opposite of peace. That would be frustration. I would be like, mm. you know, I want closeness. I want, uh, I need to know. I need that little gadget to, to get me through the day. Um, but like anything, I guess we can learn, can't we? We can adapt and adopt having nothing as long as we do it long enough, like we've done in the pandemic. We've we've all been sort of, we've gone back to cabin life at home. Um, and um, what are your thoughts on all this? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so you were talking about bringing it back to India. And it's always been like this, you know, that either you are the ascetic or you uh, or you uh, kind of admire the ascetic. So the ascetic also becomes, it's not that they are isolated from society completely. Because by taking up such a lifestyle where you really focus on your practice of what is important, you were thought to develop certain powers. And these powers were available to the to the householder society. You know, that it's quite often the case, and you see it even in Nepal, that these uh, ascetics, they are visited by, by the people from the community. They ask them for advice. They, they, um, uh, they, uh, um, uh, ask them for like rituals and talismans, and and they they have access to their uh, to their um, uh, spiritual powers. So there was always this like symbiotic um, connection between the uh, ascetics, or you could say the spiritual professional, and the greater uh, society. So it's not just um, uh, it wasn't usually just uh, uh, a completely solitary. Uh, um, pursuit from the ascetic side. No, but tell me, when people visit the, yeah, when they, do they give an offering to the ascetic and would that be necessary uh, in order to survive, for example, nourishment, enough yeah, mo I money mean, to eat? Yeah. Uh, mm. yeah, as a spiritual seeker, it's also, it's, uh, and that was also the case with, uh, with the monasteries, you know, and you can imagine now the monasteries are very well supported and they have lots of uh, wealth and stuff. But in the, in the olden days, we can imagine that um, the first monasteries would be quite poor. It would be a collection of, uh, of monks who would go around with, with begging bowls. And that also gives, gave you cred. You couldn't be too wealthy or too rich as a spiritual person. You had to be different from the householders. You had to really go all the way and, and then you gained respect. Okay, this person has given up everything. He's solely pursuing the spiritual path. He probably has some powers. Mm. And that 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 uh, uh, and that makes people give them donation. They, I want to support this person because he's a spiritual seeker. He can he can benefit me. He can give me some good advice. He have, probably has uh, some some powers that uh, that I can. Uh, um get access to so they would be supported to sustain their lives mm. but from their side they couldn't be too greedy so once a day they would go and with a begging bowl and and they would get donations and it was a it was a, a good valuable thing from the from the uh, giver's side also to to um, support such a life if, mm. even if you couldn't do it yourself you could at least support someone else who did the pursuit I find that very fascinating. Like, so the longer you go without and the more sincere you are about your giving everything up, then down the line someone will say, well, this this person obviously uh, 
instills a certain uh, ability to to not look or expect, and therefore I shall give, mm-hmm. um, because uh, they sort of um, they sort of uh, stick then more out in their spirituality. Mm-hmm. I get it. It's 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 really beautiful. It's kind of like the sacrifice of you know no. Uh, no, um, Maria, I don't want to go to the shopping mall and shop with you today. I want to stick here at home and keep my daily sadhana going. Um, are, are there different forms or levels of giving something up where you would call a person leaning towards asceticism? Or do you think you either are an ascetic or you're just not? Or do you think there, there, is, a, there is an in-between playing field where you give up some things and not others? Well, I think um, first of all, there are different reasons for uh, for people becoming uh, ascetics. They have different aims. You know, some will have a, a material aim. They will hope for. Well, in the Indian context, they would hope for a, a better rebirth. They were kind of this idea that if you did a lot of penance, like you, like you said, this keeping your arm up in the air, you. Uh, and, and bringing suffering upon yourself, you would burn your karma faster. Uh, so the, the motivation could be to, to burn your karma, uh, your bad karma faster, so you could get a more pleasant rebirth, but you would still be within samsara. Whereas there are other uh, ascetics who, uh, uh, who would have a, a, a different pursuit to completely transcend uh, samsara. So, mm. so this is very much the the Buddhist path that uh, that you want to transcend uh, samsara completely, and and of co- and also yeah the Jain path, but their take on uh, on uh, austerities uh, are a little bit uh, are different. So within Buddhism, it's not advised to do self penance, and uh, and also over time uh, within Buddhism, it develops so that the most uh, it was actually from the beginning. The most important thing is your motivation. It's what you do with your mind. That's where the uh, that's where the asceticism or the renunciation happens. It doesn't matter if you give up all your worldly possessions. If you go around craving <laughs> craving them all day long, and and you're longing for food and pleasure and house and and family and all that, then you're not really a, a renunciate or a good ascetic. Uh, whereas on the other side, you could you could you could live a perfectly comfortable life, but it it wouldn't have to you wouldn't be attached. It wouldn't mean anything to you, no matter how much uh, comfort and and material possessions you you have. Mm, I so like it's really a thing uh, in the mind. I, li- I like what you're saying about it being in the mind, and I like what you're saying that you know this mm-hmm. covers it's it's kind of differently interpreted based on. You know where the devotee lives, or which tradition it comes from. You know, in the yeah. if you go back to um, the meaning of the word ascetic, it's coming from the ancient Greek term askesis, which means training, uh-huh. training or exercise. Now, if you were to ask what a sadi is, um, I don't know if a sadi could be defined as uh, that person which trains or exercises. So the original was more of an athletic sort of, you know, um, uh, in in accordance to physical training for athletic events that you needed to train or exercise, the concept of being an ascetic. But now we call that athletic. And I'm I'm just I'm just feeling, you know, in the uh, when you think about natural asceticism, do you think that it um, do you think that 
that, that it re requires, naturally it would require you getting used to something, but does it take, like when we come back to the mind and how you approach things and de-approach things and not even go towards things, do you think that um, it requires a lot of training and exercise as it uh, derives in its actual Greek meaning uh, to be a, a proper ascetic? Is it an exercise thing that you have to you have to acquire yeah, acquire I mean, it a knack for it? Definitely, you need to. Uh, well, of course, it's uh, it's a combination of uh, of many different kinds of training and also knowledge. You know, you have to understand that all these things that ordinary people pursue are not really worth pursuing. You have to have the wisdom. You have to understand that all these things are impermanent and that the our craving can never be satisfied is in the nature of things that craving can just never be satisfied no matter how many possessions we get mm. because our the, that is the nature of our ego to just produce new cravings that's that's how we are uh, um, that's how we we are wired to not be satisfied so you have to understand that also the the things that we crave they are impermanent they will they will not satisfy they uh, they will fall apart we will lose them they will disintegrate at some point so so you have to have that understanding and uh, and then of course how do you acquire that understanding you acquire it in a in a practical way also by by leading the uh, ascetic uh, life by taking certain vows to abstain from this and that and then having the experience and uh, and then when when you have this realization that okay these things were were not uh, worth having anyway and, and my ego has the nature of just craving new things then it doesn't matter then you have kind of uh, transcended that uh, um, world of uh, of uh, material uh, craving so then you it doesn't matter if you have lots of possessions or, or no possessions it's indifferent to you but i think it's more i think it's more difficult it's a higher level to to be in a, a true inner ascetic because we are so prone to uh, we are so prone to uh, to sense pleasure, to to pursue these um, comfortable things. So I think it's it's very hard to have be around them and, and still not get attached, unless yeah. you're well trained. Unless you're well trained. Um, a question to you: um, Do you 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 seem to be a, in many ways a very you know knowledgeable, moving around uh, quite. Um, yeah, you're people. You're in. You're in demand uh, within the realm of your yoga world. People know you. This, that, and the other. But still, nonetheless, I've you know I've had the pleasure of being with you over long periods of time, and I see that you're also living life in a very sort of you know keep it simple um, because I don't need any more kind of a way. So that's why I was referring to. The combination, can you be an ascetic and at the same time keep your your head peaking and, and, and living in the, the real world with real temptations and, and so on and so mm -hmm. forth? Um, would you consider yourself uh, that you have a degree of this uh, ascetic nature uh, within? <laughs> I think I have less and less of it. Uh, when I was very young, I, I had this idea that I would uh, live in a cave and I would be uh, like a yogi uh, ascetic. Um, and I think, you know, 
if you uh, when you start very simple you don't crave the things you you don't have but i think it's hard to go back once you've tasted the kind of comfortable life it's it's always hard to to um, take up a, a simpler life but i must say through throughout my life that many of the happiest periods uh, of my life has been in when I've been living in very very simple conditions, like when I lived in a, uh, when I lived in a abandoned hospital in in India. I had just a small room and there were frequent power cuts, no water. It was very small, very very simple um, living conditions. But but I was I was very very happy because we tend to forget that the more things we have, the more complicated life gets you have to take care of all these things you know that you you can't just stack them there like if you have property or something you need to maintain it it's so much connected with it that uh, takes up your time and and just becomes a, a headache so in a way living a very simple life can be um, yeah it can be it, it can be very uh, um, charming happy. it can be a very happy and content mm -hmm. life yeah i think you know i think 10 out of 10 people would agree with you who have had i won't if i, I don't know if i'll call it the pleasure but the the uh, the fate uh, as such that they've experienced what it means to to be reliant on nothing because nothing is there to become something and um mm -hmm. i think um uh i definitely grew up in a house where sometimes um we had soup uh, every night um, uh, and my parents were nourished us with love but it wasn't always that you know and if if they if they ever had the money to buy a box of cereal or something <clears throat> then um suddenly it was just Christmas um, and um, they'd have to they'd have to almost be like you know uh, bodyguards at the breakfast table because we would have polished that off in like one go. Um, and just just that, you know, lifting up the spoonful of milk with that cereal in it was just like, it was just bliss. And then the thought of getting a soda, you know, that had color, that had fizzy water. Uh, and and I, I, I don't know, I think um, there's, there's a lot, um, there's a lot in what we've been given just by been, been having given a life. And somehow there's it's this life has gotten very cluttered and very, you know, um, almost uh, uh, thematic, where you where everything has a theme, and everything has a name, and everything has a justification, and borders have been drawn, and you know, passports have been uh, issued, and it's really tough to get around. Um, when you said, you know, it's it's easier to go. Uh, it's not so easy going back as it is going forward. You know, it, it, you can't go back to that feeling. But, but maybe you know, just like with this pandemic, you know, many companies are going uh, bankrupt. There's a lot of that that were experiencing a heyday just a year ago, and are now forced mm -hmm. to close their doors. Um, do you think that um, situations as such can cause people to seek? Uh, uh, out enlightenment in a more you know what uh i don't need all this uh because what i've been working on all year is just letting go of uh i haven't been able to breathe not because i, I i've had this 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 illness or the virus but i've i've been not able to breathe because 
I've realized how attached I am to just everything that doesn't mean a darn thing. Mm-hmm. What about you? Have you have you in this first pandemic stage in your life of seriousness when the world was <clears throat> experiencing something very unique? Have you thought differently about what you own and and what you are willing to acquire and, and where you're going? Or or is there a part of you that is like Wow, this is scary. I've got to get more organized just in case. I mean, where where do you aesthetically um, uh, end up uh, after after we're now sensing that this might um, stop now soon? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, uh, I spent the first five months of the uh, uh, pandemic in uh, in a lockdown in my flat in in Kathmandu, and and. Somehow life became very, very simple, very routine. Um, uh, and uh, it became like a, it became like a retreat because I, I couldn't go out. I couldn't do my ordinary work of teaching yoga. I couldn't travel around and, and do the, the, the work that I was supposed to do. So it was a simple life of uh, studying and, and practicing. And of course, there were some bonuses happening with everybody, everything closing down. Like we suddenly had clean air in Kathmandu and we could see the mountains. We had beautiful sunsets. It was um, amazing in that way. So I very much enjoyed this, uh, this uh, simple life. Uh, and I see it now during the, the pandemic, the fact that we are so restricted in, in how we can socialize and meet, that, that people are taking up more and more the simple things that we used to do when I was a child, like being outside, skating, picnicking, making fires, you know, just to take the kids out and, and doing something together. And also friends getting together in a, in a different way. So I think it teaches us somehow to to value our human connections in a, in a different way, something we maybe took for granted before. Yeah, definitely. Um, I like what you're saying, that you can suddenly see the Himalayas just because, you know, all the cars are parked uh, over a long period of time. You can suddenly... Uh, and, and maybe that goes, you know, when you look inward as well, you suddenly can see different parts of you that you haven't seen before, because just like pollution, there's a lot of clutter in our mindscape, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, some things have become uh, much clearer. You, we have uh, had a lot of time to, to think, and, and everything you, because you don't check in with other people all the time, you, you're staying in your home, so everything you you contemplate, everything you think of becomes goes much deeper. Uh, I remember that with all, all these like uh, Black Lives Matters movement and all these things that were happening in the world, I was not discussing it so much. I was really studying it and, and taking it in my whole how my whole life situation is like uh, being born in the part of the world that I am and and, and uh, in the time of history that I am born and how this whole like karmic load just uh, descended on me and uh, yeah, it really took its toll and it, it really um, it really went much much deeper than it would have done normally if I wasn't in that lockdown situation mm. so and other things as well about my my practice that uh, you know we usually we 
contemplating impermanence, the impermanence of all things, the uncertainty of our time of death. These are the like fund fundamental Buddhist practices. They start to mean something when something else when when <laughs> you're in the midst of a pandemic and people around are suddenly dying and the whole world as you know it is is falling apart and and you're so restricted in in what you can do and the future is completely uncertain and completely unknown do you like that so, yeah definitely mm. Mm. well it makes for a, makes for a good story and finally we're living the story that we're living in um I just, um, I just back to the the topic of the household uh, version of this story. Um, what do we have? Um, obviously, not to gain, uh, or what do we have to actually gain by by living like we did before the pandemic and not ever becoming uh, a devotee? Um, what do we What do we gain, and what do we have not to gain um, by being uh, a household? Uh, almost redundant um, copy-and-paste individual living in suburbia? Uh, what do we have to gain? I don't know if there's so much uh, to gain from it. We just, we kind of just maintain the, the status quo and we sort of just live a, an uninvestigated life, I would say. And I've been thinking about this lately because I've been forced to live in this part of the world for a pretty long time now. And I was talking to a friend the other day and explaining about, you know, living in, in Kathmandu in such a vibrant spiritual environment. And what people are actually doing there is that they are deliberately creating their reality all the time. That's what you do through your rituals, through your practice. You create your reality. Whereas here in the Western part of the world, we have all bought into a so-called objective reality that is out there, that is scientifically uh, uh, provable and attested. And we've all bought into this one version of reality that we all subscribe to. And we have no part in creating it. And I find that incredibly flat, incredibly boring, incredibly uninspiring. Yeah, but don't we have to play along? Because, Ellen, there are some eight and a half billion people on the planet today. When these first devotees or the ascetics were really making themselves uh, obvious um, 2,000 some odd years ago, there were about 200 million people which is, I don't know if you divide that by five and eight, um, that's like 40 times less amount of clutter, people, uh, public opinion around you. Um, don't, don't you think that it flattens out because we are, we are just more? And in order for us to survive or to get through a pandemic or anything that we, we regrettably have to do and think things together, uh, instead of sticking yourself out or sticking your arm up and saying, I won't have anything to do with this pandemic because I am a, a pure devotee. I mean, it doesn't work that way, does it? No, no, but it's, this is just about culture, I think, because also in Nepal there are some like 30 million people or in, in India there's a billion people, but they, I think they have a slightly different uh, uh, notion of uh, reality than, than we have in our culture. 
you know, I think they are uh, at least to some extent uh, taking more part in uh, in their own. Um, yeah, I, I would say creating their own merit and creating their own uh, karma, their own reality, their own future. Mm -hmm. Uh, of course, to different extents, but uh, but certainly within the within the the sangha or the the scene that uh, plays out in in Kathmandu and around where I live uh, every single day, you know that's how people start the day. They start the day with their pujas, their rituals, with their visualization, with creating their uh, field of uh, of uh, support, their field of uh, of merit, visualizing their lineage, their lamas, putting themselves in their reality, in their context. We never do that. No, it's true. You know, I was with you in Kathmandu, and I mean, whether or not I was feeling myself rather ignorant to to all of these, you know, more extensive beautiful concepts, um, I still nonetheless, like probably a busy, uh, you know, businessman in Kathmandu, you still are exposed to it, whether or not you expose yourself to it um, directly. Yeah. So somehow you're being sidelined with an inspiration or an understanding, like you said, that creates a merit that maybe gives you a certain uh, karma and, and, and brings you down a, a good you know, middle path, if not, you know, the complete devotee path. So, um, but here, now when you mention the flat, now I get it, it's, like you say, there's a billion people in India and they still manage to to, to, to work nicely in and around um, being inspired and, and like, like it comes back to this, you know, the definition of the ascetic in the, the, the Greek standpoint of, you know, exercising, practicing. They really do, they practice these pujas, uh, day in and day out, and then you see people getting right into some sort of uh, transport right after that, and you know they're just headed off to work after that smoke uh, dwindles down. So maybe it's not just a matter of population, it's just a matter of dedication and mm. and good practice, um, back to the root word in, in, in Greek. Um, but does it take a lot of practice to sit on your couch and watch TV? That's that's also a practice that people don't realize that they're they're getting wrapped up into, and then we call it habit instead of practice. But it it takes practice to f sit down and gel, doesn't it? Uh, I think it takes practice to overhear the, all the white noise that buzzes through your brain when you know you're wasting your precious time. Exactly. Mm. Mm. No, I'm uh, I'm wondering I'm wondering myself how to. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always talking about, you know, I can't wait till things open up again, then I'm going to run off and have a pancha karma, and, you know, I'm going to both cleanse the in, the out, and I'm going to get my yoga practice back on uh, on schedule. And then, you know, but sometimes I almost punish myself thinking that, you know, you're always waiting for tomorrow, and how could in a flatlined, you know, modern-day country with a yoga studio nearby in your strip mall or wherever it might be, how can you, um, what kind of advice would you give the listener in terms of how to understand this, the advantages of being more of more devoted, but perhaps not having to become a total devotee, since that's not on your agenda, is it to be a total mm -hmm. devotee, or do you think that you are in some categories dividing, uh, devoting yourself fully? 
I'm certainly not, an, I wouldn't call myself an ascetic. I don't think that would be <laughs> right in any way. But I'm also aware, you know, having now stayed there for several months, that uh, 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 I am influenced by uh, by the all the the years I've I've spent in in this environment in in India and in Nepal. Uh, at least I think I hear the white the white noise <laughs> buzzing through my head mm. uh, when I'm watching Netflix. Because of course I do, uh, but. Um, um, uh, yeah, what would be the advice? I think uh, I think maybe take up one practice and and feel the experience, the result of it, committing to something, you know, that is unusual, that is not part of your uh, your daily life. Take up one one practice and and stick with it for some time and and uh, and harvest the fruit of that little effort. Would you say take up one practice and give up one thing? Um, because we have a lot to give up uh, as we approach that one choice of practice or that one day a week or that one hour each day you're going to do it. Um, do we need to learn to give up some things? And if so, what would be some modern-day appliances that you would have on your list that most people have in their living room or in their cupboards that you would say that could be a good start of giving that up. Um, do you have any examples? I think it's, well, I think it's there's a lot of unnecessary information floating around all the time. I think something that's good to give up is like uh, gossip and uh, good point and slandering other people. I always think that's a good thing to to give up because it's so easy to fall into. To sort of elevate yourself and, and put others down and do it behind their back and stuff like that. Just just give up that you know useless slandering and, and talking about others. I think that's a good thing to to give up. And also realize when you come across it because the social media and the media are full is is full of it. So uh, so yeah, just don't buy into that. And have a lot of. Uh, it's so easy to have opinions about everything, and you know, just take it easy. Just abandon that for a while. Speaking of a one practice, like I'm, <laughs> I'm always fond of you know gratefulness practice. Uh, do that in the morning. Remember your deep connections with people, and remember everyone who helped you, who were kind to you. Really bring that to your mind, and and have some humility. Mm. I would agree with you there. I'm just thinking of you know this uh, this uh, component uh, in the yamas of the brahmacharya, um, how mm. how you know um, renunciating from from you know being close and keeping your energy on all levels of life uh, nice and high is being a renunciate also sort of keeping your energy um, compact and uh, alert. Uh, is this is this part of the deal of um, being an ascetic that you can maintain and sustain uh, a certain le level of energy to keep yourself divine at all times, or or does it really does it not really uh, is that not really uh, a res uh, a goal in and of itself? Maybe the goal of an ascetic is no goal uh, at all. Or what what do you think? 
yeah ultimately it should be no goal but that's that's even you know that's also hard to uh, to pretend that you have no goals but uh, of course if you're too focused on the goals like you want to have uh, some uh, spiritual powers or, or or something then that becomes an obstacle as well but on on the other hand we we need to have i think we we pass many milestones as as we go and and if we practice we will have some uh, experiences like you were talking about uh, giving up all these things that are not important and kind of focusing your energy like a laser on those things that are really important i think you will get a, you will experience a kind of um, um, we call it merit but it's really a, a spiritual potential a kind of a build up of a, of a, of potential that that encourages you to go forward in your practice so uh, so all uh, these milestones that you that you pass when you feel that you're in the flow with that uh, then I think that becomes the that becomes the the many goals that you experience as you go along. Yeah, I, I would agree with and you. And you will there. see other things like like quite often what we call lucky coincidences. Uh, these things uh, are starting to happen that are also kind of signs mm. that something. Oh, you were just at the right time, the right place at the right time, and you experience these like lucky coincidences when you, which might have to do with the, with you getting rid of all the uh, all the unnecessary stuff so that you can see it when it happens yeah and maybe they're taking place all the time but you don't register them uh, exactly and because they you have really the are, you know? and, you, and you have the energy to and suddenly you feel that mm. well mm. this is my lucky day and then if you look back in time mm. you're like i've had a lot of days like this actually but mm. it's nice to it's nice to be cognizant and and aware in whatever you do and whatever you exactly you feel is lucky i am um, you know, in, in closing here, I would just, you know, think that um, would the world be a better place if, um, uh, if number one, there were more renunciates? Um, and number two, would the world be a better place if um, we could have more conversations like this with uh, flatliners that uh, think this is a bunch of mumbo-jumbo to, to even... To discuss anything altruistic, um, what do you think? Well, I think it's certainly good to have uh, renunciates around as in, as inspiration and examples for for all of us. We need to be reminded that oh, maybe we don't need all this stuff. Maybe life can be simpler. Maybe I can focus on on uh, what is really important uh, as well. So I think it's it's really healthy to to have them around in in society, but I think they are here as well. I mean, you have people, and and quite often we call them nerds. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Just renunciate, aka nerd. Um, it's true. It's true. Mm. Well, um, I really appreciate as always having the opportunity to you know, uh, meet you in passing and to, to hear how that beautiful mind of yours uh, fires off in, a, in, in different directions. So um, I'd like to thank you for, for discussing this episode with us today, Ellen Johannesson, and I'm looking forward to our next episode. But for now, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. And this was the episode about the relationship between asceticism and 
this spiritual pursuit versus the householder life. And don't forget, this is the Yoga Syndicate.